The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace, and today we're going to focus on the future of work. Now, a lot of people are predicting that the way we work is changing for others, and several others are not quite convinced yet how quickly those changes are going to come about. So our focus first for the day is what are the trends in how we're working today, um, and what are they going to be look like in the near future, from the demands on flexibility to the demands on time off, Temporary employment, hot desking, the gig, hot desking, the gig economy, robotics. What, which of all of those are we going to see, and how quickly, and how are they going to impact us the most? And then in the second half of the show, we're going to turn to talk about the implications of those trends for how you manage today, and particularly what it means for the kind of leader you're becoming. So with me today is Flora Bothwick and Charlotte Sweeney. Fleur is the Director of Diversity and Inclusive Leadership, DNI for the EMEA region at EY. That's 99 countries and 105,000 people. She spent 18 years in investment banking, and she has a host of awards and accolades behind her, chairing a number of boards like co-chairing the Board of Working Families, a member of the advisory board for the We Connect in Europe, a variety of trustee relationships, and was named in 2013 as one of the top 30 inspirational women on boards. I could go on. The last one I'll say is that Flora was also named as an officer of the Order of the British Empire in recognition of her contribution to diversity and inclusion in the workplace. So, Flora, welcome to the show. Wow, what an what a introduction. Thanks, Wanda. With pleasure. All right, now my second guest and Flora's co-author is Charlotte Sweeney. Charlene is specialized in large-scale change programs with a focus on diversity, inclusion, engagement, and well-being for well over 20 years. She's worked in companies like Barclays, Barclays Capital, HBOS, Nomura, to name a few, and she is now working on her own consultancy. She's the founder of the Creating Inclusive Cultures program. She's done a number of independent um, activities, including an independent review of the voluntary code for executive search firms for finding more women for on boards, a report that in the UK is now called the Sweeney Report. Uh, Charlotte also has a lot of trustee relationships and has been on a lot of boards as non-executive directors. There are so many I can't even begin to list them. I will say that she has been um, a regular contributor to the press, the radio, and TV in the UK, especially, including The Guardian, The Financial Times, Sky News, BBC, and the list goes on. 
And in 2017, Charlotte was also honored with an officer of the British Empire for services to women and equalities. More importantly, Fleur and Charlotte have just co-authored a book called Inclusive Leadership, The Definitive Guide to Developing and Executing an Impactful Diversity and Inclusive Strategy. Charlotte, welcome to the show. Hi, Wanda. Thanks for inviting us. All right. I'm looking forward to this one a lot. So I know that your book is around inclusive leadership, but I know that the driver for you around focusing so much on inclusive leadership has to do with your view of how work is changing. So Charlotte, what does it mean to you that the future of work, how is it changing and how fast is it going to come? So the the future of work, what what it really means for me is if I look back at the beginning of my career and I started life in Barclays in the financial services sector and I always remember my mum saying to me, uh, when I got a job in a bank, you've got a job for life now. You're absolutely sorted. Uh, little did we know a few decades <laughs> on that that would never be the case within financial services and, and the world would significantly change. Um, and I think that's what we're actually seeing now around the future of work. I think there's going to be far more uncertainty um, around work. So the roles that some of us, for example, Fleur and I have done over the recent years, didn't exist when we first started in our careers. And people that are coming into the workplace in years to come will, will do roles that don't exist now. So there's going to be so much change and uncertainty around that aspect. Um, there was a point you mentioned, Wanda, around flexibility. Um, I think organizations okay. have started to really focus on flexibility and how to be a really agile organization and enable people to work differently. But I just don't think that that change is happening as quickly as it should. And I think there's going to be a real focus in the future around true agility within organizations where there's going to be much more focus on outputs um, rather than presenteeism. Um, and when you think about where working much longer, so if we have a 50 or 60 year career, um, there's going to be more flexibility required about when we want to ramp our career up and when we want to take time out as well. So I think there's going to be a lot of change in the future um, around that. Um, but I think at the same time, there's going to be um, a number of areas that are pretty consistent, and that links to the human elements around all this. I think many of us will still want to focus on um, having a role which gives us, um, you know, we can have a positive impact on the organization, that we have meaningful work, that we really feel like that we're contributing, and, and be able to do work that we're really passionate about. So I think aspects like that will stay the same, but I think there will be a lot of uncertainty and change um, in the future around the workplace. Okay, so let me ask you about a couple of these trends, Charlotte, and specifically. So, you know, this whole thing about the gig economy, this notion that millennial workers are happier having one assignment to the next assignment and don't really want permanent employment. You know, how much of that are you seeing today? Um, I'm seeing that um, increasingly um, uh, within many of the organizations that I work with. There is a there is more of a feel of uh, wanting to do one role, learn from it, and then move on to the next. Um, and I think that also comes from what they've seen from their, from their parents around this uncertainty that we've experienced um, over the last decade or so around what goes on um, with organizations and within the workplace. So I, I am seeing that, but I'm also seeing uh, many people wanting to 
focus on uh, getting into an organization and gradually working up that career ladder. I was recently talking to a colleague um, in a law firm, and they were really focused on the fact that a number of uh, the millennials coming into their organizations really wanted to have a clear structure uh, around how to get to the next stages within their career within that organization. So I think, it's a, I think it's a real mixed bag. I think there's a number that do really want to focus on doing the one project and moving somewhere else. And I think that's similar for other generations as well. Um, but I am also seeing ones that want to be really clear about their trajectory within an organization. So it's both. So, it's Linda, some movement. Build and on, on that from Charlotte yeah. with, with the experience at EY, which is ex- ex- spot on. But the, the real change we're seeing is that a, a lot of individuals, and particularly the younger generation coming through, want more regular, more immediate feedback. So certainly in terms of performance management um, systems and even how you talk about career paths, to say to someone, once a year we're going to review you and give you a ranking isn't what they're looking for. To, to Charlotte's point about some of, some of the people that are doing the shorter assignments, they want to know how they've done constructively at the end of that assignment, not in 12 months' time. And it's much harder to talk to them about um, the potential to make partner in 10 to 15 years' time. That's too long away. They're more interested in sort of the next step up and when that might happen. Great. So, Fleur, are you seeing that your performance management systems are changing at EY as a result of the demands? Absolutely. We ran um, a pilot, um, a global pilot, um, which was very, very successful. And building on that, we are just in the process, not me, but the, the organization of launching a brand new performance management system that will go live a little bit later this year. So definitely, and I, and I know that we're... We're not unusual in that. A lot of companies are scrutinizing how they do. And it's such an important part of the talent um, life cycle. That's true. And so can you tell us any of the details about what's happening in that performance management system? So how regular are people getting feedback? The biggest part of that is the fact that we're not going to be reliant on this one annual ranking that everybody gets because um, we don't have a set profile where you can only have so many people ranked as high potentials, but it, 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 it's, it's the norm that many people end up in the middle, at the, the, in our case, the three ranking. And in just that ranking, that's someone doing a good job, you can totally demotivate them for the coming year. So the whole focus is going to be much, much more on gold standard feedback and much more regular constructive conversations, which, as the three of us probably know, isn't always the most natural skill of a manager who's under a great deal of pressure with a lot lot else going on. So, um, you know, that's going to be quite demanding, I think. I think, that's yes, a, I think that's a really good point, Fleur, because uh, if I think to um, some of the clients that I'm working with at the moment, there's two concerns. Um, one of them is um, around they've had a, a focus for years around forced distribution around their performance management processes, so being very clear on a percentage of the population will be poor performers and a percentage of the population will, will be exceeding performers and everybody else will sit in the middle. Uh, and the notion of coming away from that performance review process um, feels quite daunting for them. I think the other point as well is, is, the, is the feedback element. And what I'm seeing uh, within leaders that I've been working with is this, and I would call it a fear, of, of being able to give feedback in the right way. 
that is very constructive, that is very factual, that helps people progress on their careers and gives them the, you know, the, the things that they're doing great and the things that, you know, they need to look at and, and change. Okay. And, and I see those two elements as real areas of concern for, for a number of organizations at the moment. Okay. All right. I want to come back just a minute to something that you said earlier, too. So I, I get the point about we're going to have to change the way we do evaluations and measure people and give them feedback, that that's going to be part of the demands of what is expected in the future of work. But you also talked, Charlotte, in the beginning about flexibility and agility, that you're focused more on output than on presenteeism. Fleur, how is that showing up in your view? What kind of flexibility is really working? It's probably one of the hardest things to do, the um, moving away from presenteeism. I I think it all comes down to trust, which is the bedrock, really, of of all successful relationships. And it's challenging. You know, I work in a a global organization. A great deal of the work I do is virtual. So um, I'm lucky because I'm not sitting with people surrounding me, but many traditional work models, it will be the manager and their team sitting there. The manager can see them. The manager will argue they need to be there to help with their development. The manager could argue that if they're not in front of them, they may not even be working. And um, we have to get to a place where we can be crystal clear and articulate what's expected of our people and how we're going to measure the success and then trust them, empower them to choose when and how they do that work. And obviously with the caveat that we all have clients, so it's not a question of of mayhem with everybody off doing their own thing, but just a way of being able to evaluate someone's performance without having them sit in front of you for for seven, eight hours a day, five days a week. Right. Um, There was a small startup company that I was working with recently that had a very interesting policy regarding flexibility. And basically, the answer was work anytime, anyplace, any way, any how you want, take whatever time you need for whatever, just get your work done. And it created massive chaos in that organization, small organization. But you have somebody who wants to work from 4 p.m. until, you know, 2 a.m. And somebody else who wants to go the exact opposite rate. Again, they needed to collaborate. So what are you seeing companies do that make, is there a limit on how much flexibility? Or are there systems that are going to make this flexibility easier to handle? Yeah. It's so funny you ask that because it's a topic of today being discussed by me with um, some of my colleagues in the Nordics. Um, I obviously come from, I'm evangelical about flexibility, informal flexibility, so I come from the stance of, yes, just tell me what you want me to deliver by when um, and I'll deliver it. And um, But obviously, there are lots and lots of constraints, and it makes managers quite fearful, and there are some serious challenges. One, of course, is um, teaming and collaboration, and, you know, we're human beings. There, there's always going to be somebody, unfortunately, who may, who may not quite perform to the level you have trusted them to perform to. Um, so... But what I see is it's a bit like driving a car, people put, putting the, the foot on the accelerator and everybody's working flexibly and then somebody doesn't perform well and control comes back in and then they sat, slam the brake on. Um, I won't name the company, but we all read about a, a well-known company where the female CEO joined and just cancelled all remote working and, and got some terrible press for it. Talking in the Nordics today, 
the, some, some of my countries have a policy where it's a flexible policy and people can work remotely, but only so many days a month which I would argue is quite inflexible. So it's, this, it's, it's finding the balance where the manager feels comfortable and in control, but the employee still feels empowered. Because we know from research that the, the engagement levels for somebody who feels they can flex how they work, and that could just be leaving early one day a week or coming in late, the engagement levels go through the roof when they just feel empowered to make some of those decisions. Okay, so it is about getting um, engagement with people and therefore productivity. And I think you're right to say it's trust. So we're right back to that fundamental principle. We have to figure out how we build stronger trust, even when we have very different working practices and very different styles. All right. So, Fleur, I want to turn for a minute about the implications for employee brand. Um, What are you seeing in this space and how much difference does it make when we get it right the changing expectations well, on employer we brands. Have, um, something called we we put a lot of store on our global people survey. Um, it's it's great actually because you know Charlotte and I often talk about engagement, high engagement being driven by people feeling in, included. So that's sort of our our strong business case for the whole work we do around inclusive leadership. Um, but we also do um, quite a few in, uh, pieces of internal analysis, and we know that high engagement drives. Um, better revenues with our teams, better retention rates, and what we call better reputation. And that's all to do with the brand and our ability to attract from graduates right through up to our partner recruitment. And it's stating the obvious, but when you have got a strong reputation, a strong brand, you are going to find it much easier to um, entice talent to come and engage with you and consider joining you. And you pay less. You know, when you've got a poor brand and find it difficult to recruit, you're going to have to pay individuals more to get them to on board. So I know I'm now I'm talking down in numbers so that, you know, it, it's not so humane. But the benefits to the business um, are multiple. That's fabulous. So getting this right, figuring out how it is that people want to work and allowing them to have some sense of empowerment, maybe not fully, but at least some sense of empowerment, certainly has a really strong impact on the revenue, the retention, and the ability to recruit and to retain people. Yeah. Okay, Charlotte, I want to come back to you. Um, I asked you earlier about this gig economy. Um What do you think this means for managers and leaders? I mean, you talked a little bit about the need to change the way the performance management system is going. Do you see other things that are going to need to change for leaders and managers? Yeah, I think there's there's a number of um, different aspects that are going to have to change for managers wander around this. I think think managers are going to have to um, get increasingly comfortable with uncertainty. Um, and And what I mean by that is, as we increase the gig economy, and, uh, you know, something that's happening a lot in the U.K. as well as in the U.S., it's having the ability to bring people into your team that are going to be there for a finite period of time and then leave again. So it's, it's in effect, being able to create teams and enable teams to work effectively together for that period of time that they're going to be working and make sure you get the absolute best out of them. So I think leaders and managers are going to have to be really flexible in the way that they lead and manage. Uh, when I first started banking, I can remember one of my senior leaders saying to me, the great thing about becoming senior 
was that everybody else would change their style around you um, to make sure that, that they made you happy as a leader. I would argue now it's the other way around, that leaders have to be comfortable about being able to change their style and adapt their style to the different people that are within their team. So I think that's really important. I think it's important that they're able to create that feeling of a team, even though it may be a very different team in different, um, in different ways. So you may have people that are permanently there and people that are just dipping in for certain specialisms and certain periods of time. Um, but I, ha I also think that enables managers and leaders to find great talent externally, that they may not need uh, a particular specialism for, a, um, for a, a long period of time, but only for a short period of time, that they can actually tap into the market and bring that freelancer in. Um, and I think that's where the gig economy is really going to play a really interesting part and an important part for organization. But I think the leaders are absolutely critical um, to ensure the success of that. Okay. So let me follow up with that one. I, I love that you say senior managers used to think that that meant as a senior person, everyone had to change around me. And now it's the polar opposite, that you're the one that's changing to accommodate and adapt the people you're trying to bring together. And I think that captures a lot of what we talk about in the show. Now, you also said that it's that ability to create a feeling of the team when I have a combination of people who are permanently on the team and people who are coming and going, dipping in and dipping out. Any advice for a manager on how to create that sense of team when it is a mix of permanent and changing bodies? I mean, the, the first thing for me is being very clear across the team that the team are there to deliver something for the organization. They have a shared vision, a shared goal of something they need to deliver for the company. Uh, so really making sure there isn't this view of a them and us, uh, a permanent employee and then somebody that's dipping in and dipping out. I think um, you know, virtual working is, is great for many of us. What's important about that for a manager is making sure that they have those regular touch points with all the team. Uh, to make sure they are connecting, uh, be that virtually or in person, um, at appropriate times that works for both them and also works for the, the work that they're doing. But I think it's also, as a leader, checking in with the team to make sure that how they're working is working for all of them and how they may have to change the different ways of working, how they may have to adapt flexibility a little bit, or how they may have to just completely rethink how they're working as a team and getting that feedback from the team, I think, is absolutely critical. Um, as a manager and a leader, I think it's important to be really clear that we don't have all the answers. Um, but by working with the team and making sure they've got a, a voice and can tell us what's working and what isn't, I think that's a, I think that's a really important tool um, for leaders. Okay. All right. I want to turn to before. I think that's a very interesting one, and I think it's a it's we've lost our focus in the last few years on the team. And the manager's job of building the team, bringing the team together, integrating the team, making sure that they are working effectively together. It feels like as roles have expanded and we're trying to do more with less about five times over, that that time for the team has gone. And I think you're right. It's going to be an important component of success as we roll forward. Um, Fleur, we talked at the very beginning about, you know, jobs being lost, that there are entire job families that are being lost in this future of the work. You know, what sorts of jobs are you seeing that are going away? Um, yeah, I, 
Well, just in my own experience, um, I think of the fact that when I go to um, M&S, Marks and Spencers now, um, or Tesco's or wherever I'm shopping, often I'm doing my own self-scanning, uh, my own checkout. Um, so there's a whole raft of uh, people who work the tills disappearing. My banking, I do my banking now. I pay people online. I, I can set up transfers and move money around. If I go into the bank, I can deposit a check without having to queue for a teller. Um, in London, with the underground, they've got rid of a lot of ticket offices, so you don't get to talk to a human if you're trying to buy a ticket. You buy it from a machine. We all do a lot more online shopping. I mean, I, I think in our day-to-day -day experiences, we've... Um, we, we may not even have noticed, it may, may feel gradual, but more and more our experience is different. And I know that um, I quote a lot the work from the really interesting paper from the World Economic Forum, who actually talk about us already being in this fourth industrial revolution. And they have a, a number. They, they're saying that by 2020, 7 million jobs globally will have disappeared, disappeared of which um, 4.7 million are from office, the, the family that's classed as office admin. Um, I know it's a big discussion for us internally at EY in terms of the different roles that um, can, could, be, could disappear, either being covered by um, fancy technology or even robotics. Um, so, you know, and that, that is live. We have a, I don't know much of the detail, but I know that we're doing a pilot um, in our assurance business using robotics. So, again, it's not even the future of work. Some of this is here and now. It's already happened or happening. That's incredible. I mean, we all recognize the ways our, our daily life has changed by machines and by robotics, as you rightly said, from banking to shopping to you know, all sorts of things that have, we've lost the human touch. But 70 million jobs will disappear in the next three years. And yes, a lot of those... Seven. Seven million, okay. And you're experimenting with robotics. <laughs> Fascinating. Fascinating, even in the insurance business, okay? And I read um, a brilliant um, book, if anyone's come across it, by the, the father and son, Suskin. Suskin. And um, there's one section where they were just talking about um, religious... Uh, the religious profession and talking about the fact that you know you can get an app now to prep for confession and if you want to pin a prayer onto the wailing wall you can send it online and someone will print it out and, and pin it up there for you so this is you know um, changing all elements of different professions it's, it's not just the professional services or banking Okay, fascinating. I think we've only begun to see the ways in which entire qualities of um, industries have are going to change with robotics or with the interface between machine and human intelligence. Okay, Charlotte, let me just give you one last. Any last thing that you would say about why all this should manage to manage matter to managers and how they lead and manage their teams? I I think that you know the the key aspect for me is. You know, we are in a we are in a world now where there's a huge amount of uncertainty, and uh, you know, no two days are, are the same. So for me, uh, the key the key trait for a leader is being able to deal with that uncertainty and that ambiguity, and and from that, 
they will be able to get the best out of the employees that they that they already have from the people that they'll be bringing in via the gig economy and the freelancers. Um, and, and also it'll give them different insights into how they can do their work differently and how we can enhance what they already do. I think a key aspect for, for managers is being comfortable with the uncomfortable and, and really focusing on how can they continuously improve what they do. I think, it's, I think it can be a daunting time for a lot of managers and leaders at the moment, but I think it's also a very interesting time that, that you know, we're in this space where we can really shape this. All right, fascinating. We're going to take a break now. With me today is Fleur Bothwick, who is um, Director of Diversity and Inclusive Leadership for EMEA at EY among a range of other things, and Charlotte Sweeney, who is formerly an investment bank but now um, running her own consultancy. Flora and Charlotte have written a book entitled Inclusive Leadership, The Definitive Guide to Developing and Executing an Impactful Diversity and Inclusion Strategy. And for me, the takeaway from this segment is whether you're thinking about the typical versions of diversity at all, one of the things we cannot walk away from as managers is that the what are demanded of our employees for how they want to work is changing. It's changing by the millennials, it's changing because of robotics, it's changing from a whole range of reasons. And that means that as managers, we have to learn to be more flexible, to deal with the flexibility in how people want to work. It means that as managers, we have to learn to adapt to what the team is expecting, adjust to them as opposed to expecting the team to constantly adjust to us. It means that what our team structures are going to look like, both from permanent employees and a mix of people falling in and out, is going to change. Um, And it probably also means that the kind of jobs that people expect to go into are going to change in and of themselves. And that's just a few things that we've mentioned. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about some specific advice for managers and how you cope with all of these changes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Charlotte Sweeney and Fleur Bothwick. Uh, Fleur is currently the Director of Diversity and Inclusive Leadership at EY, particularly focused on the EMEA region. And Charlotte is running her own consultancy after 25 years in the financial services industry. She's the founder of Creating Inclusive Leadership Program. Um, and both have co-written a book called Inclusive Leadership, The Definitive Guide to Developing and Executing an Impactful Diversity and Inclusion Strategy Locally and Globally. You get the prize for having the longest title of all. <laughs> all right. So we were just talking in the last segment about the ways in which work has cha- is changing or what the future of work is going to look like. And the things that we particularly noted are things like you're going to have more and more people coming in to do a specific job with a specific expertise and then exiting. You're going to have people with longer careers, 50, 60 years careers, and they're going to want different pacing at different times for that career. You're going to have people with commuting being an issue and wanting to work virtually or work in different ways. And we're going to have increasing robotics that will completely change job classes for us. Those are just four trends, and that doesn't even mention a whole host of other ones that we could talk about. So for this segment, I want to focus in on how do we help the manager particularly the manager that is straddling between having to do a production job, deliver work him or herself, and still trying to manage one of these complex teams. So Charlotte, imagine you've got somebody sitting in front of you who's 40 years old, looking to, you know, kind of in the middle of a company, trying to make their way, still doing some production and trying to manage a team. What's your advice for how they learn to handle all of this? Well, I think the the first thing for that individual is that, you know, inclusive leadership and, and the traits around, the important aspects around inclusive leadership have, no, have never been more important than they are now. Um, Fleur mentioned earlier about the, 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 cons, the constant feedback um, that employees are looking for. And I think for managers now, I think one of my key pieces of advice for them would be enabling them to be able to give Great, um, great feedback to their colleagues, to their teams, to their peers, um, and be able to give uh, great positive feedback and also constructive feedback. The challenge with a lot of the management roles um, that I've seen in many organizations is the job is very focused on what you're delivering yourself without really thinking about the management piece around it. And many managers don't get as much time as they, they really need to be able to manage teams. So I think the, the other really important aspects for a manager is to, is to, you know, show a level of humility, be really clear with their teams about what their strengths are, but also what some of their weaknesses are, and be able to share that with them, because there, there'll be skills and there'll be knowledge within their teams that'll be able to help them as well. And I think that's a really important trait of an inclusive leader, being able to be very humble and be very honest about what their what they're not so good at, as well as what they are good at. I think another important aspect is is this art of really being able to collaborate uh, within the team. And, and Fleur mentioned this earlier about uh, an aspect that's really important within the team, 
Now, some managers see collaboration as, 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 as keeping quiet until one person has finished talking so they can jump in and say what they think. But, but actually, collaboration is how do you talk with each other within the team to really find out how you can support each other to do your jobs effectively? And what are the other pieces of information and insight you can get from one another? And that links into making sure you really understand your team members, understand the people that are working around you, get to know them a little bit better so that you can understand those, those different views and different perspectives they can bring into your team that help you be more productive and, uh, and get the job done far more successfully. Okay. So three components. The getting really comfortable at giving both the positive and the constructive feedback. And not everybody is good at either one of those. Mm -hmm. Um, This sense of humility, which is admitting that your vulnerability is the word I've often used on the show. This sense of I'm not perfect at everything and that is okay. And I'm going to leverage the strengths that I have on the team. And that means I can admit what I need help on and what I'm not great at. And there are plenty that I'll be good at. And then three is this collaboration, certainly a clearly a hot word at the moment on how you bring that team together to truly support each other in ways that are amazing. Mm-hmm. Now, and those are... Can I give you, yes. um, Rich, I'll sh- share with you all very quickly. Um, we, we have something called New Ways of Working, which is a big uh, a workshop and a, more than a workshop, in fact, a website, etc., that we um, have developed to help our leaders and actually our people as well think about how they can work more effectively and we have six behaviors very very simple behaviors which we say that if you do these and improve on them you will both collaborate better and you'll work better as individuals and as managers and if I just share them quickly with you it's um, work intelligently so understand the how your technology can support you that that sounds quite simple but actually a lot of us have great technology we don't use properly communicate effectively That means that if you are working remotely, make sure that you're on Skype or instant messaging so people know how they can contact you. Focus on outputs, which we've talked about. Set boundaries. This always makes people smile. The message is that when you're on holiday, it's not a different place of work. It is a holiday. Embrace diversity, uh, which means that... um, you know, not everybody wants to work the same way. There's lots of people who actually don't want to work remotely. They want to have a, a boundary between work and home. And most important, we've touched on this, trust your team. Don't micromanage. Be vocal in what you expect from them and when, and then let them do it. Okay. All right, so let me repeat those because I think they're all worthwhile. And this is what you're currently doing and as new yes, ways of working, six behaviors. all the work we're doing, our six behaviors. Okay, so work intelligently, which means use the technology. You have all, most everybody has a lot of technology available, and I do find that people don't use it properly. Um, Two is communicate effectively, and that means regardless where you are, that might be remote or it might be you're just in meetings all day. Find a way of communicating that's effective so people know where you are, they can reach you at the right times. Uh, Three is focus on the output, not the FaceTime. Four is set boundaries. For yourself and for employees to set boundaries, which means vacation is vacation and time away from work is time away from work. Um, Five is embrace diversity, but you don't mean in the classic sense of diversity. You mean in the diversity of how people want to work. And not everybody wants to be remote. Some want to do things differently. And then six is trust the team, which is easier said than done. But start by being very explicit about what you want and how you want it. 
And how are you finding that? Is that going over well? Are managers embracing it? Do you see people improving? Yeah, we've, we've, it's gone incredibly well. And in fact, most recently, we launched what we call an ideas jam. So we went out to people and said, tell us how you've, um, tell us the things that you've done differently around these six behaviors and we got 150 over 150 ideas that came back we've just published them in a in a booklet and they're so refreshing it, it, it can be little things one of one of the tips was if you open an email and it's only going to take you a couple of minutes to reply do it there and then don't come out the email and duplicate by coming back into it um, what I've done differently is when I'm doing a call I now do a call for 45 minutes rather than one hour. And because I can sit on calls all day, I can sometimes get back to two and a half hours of time to to do my to-dos. So, um, yeah, it's it's landed well. And I think the more we brainstorm and share these, they're not even innovative, really, but creative changes to the way we work, the more equipped we're going to be to to meet uh, the challenges that we're talking about. Okay. Are, you said you've published those. Are any of those available um, publicly, or is that to just within EY at the moment? Your 150 it's ideas. A few weeks ago, it's a it's an internal brochure, but you know, I'm quite happy to share more information, Wanda, if you or others are interested. Okay. We would. I'm sure people would love to hear it because I think everybody is looking for those small, tiny. micro adjustments that I can make in my day to day that don't take, you know, I go to a course for five years to get mastered at it um, that just help me manage more effectively. So yeah, we'll figure out a way to make that available to people and, uh, and announce it through a tweet or something for those who follow us that way. Okay. Okay, I love that. All right. So um, let's talk. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier about the flexibility policies. Uh, Flora, I know this has been a thing that you focus on for a lot of your professional life. Are you finding particular flexible policies that work and ones that don't work? Do you have any advice about how to approach this? Well, I have to say, and Charlotte and I have talked about this, the, the one that doesn't seem to be that popular, which I find astonishing, is job share. Because to me, job share is, it can work. I mean, if it, obviously, it takes a lot to do it properly. But job share works brilliantly for the two individuals sharing. And it works brilliantly for the organization because they have double the, the brain power. Um, but I, in my travels, I don't see uh, job share happening that often. I certainly think um, we talk about workplace of the future. Um, many of our offices now have unassigned desks. That's whereby, well, in fact, my office, I don't have a desk anywhere in the EY world. So I pitch up to the London office or, in fact, offices around the world, and I just go to an unassigned desk and I use it for the period that I need it for. And we talk about um, actually um, activity-based working. So my office, all that I need is in my backpack, my laptop, and uh, a few pieces of paper, and I move from location to location within that building, be it um, a private room if I'm doing a call, a meeting room if I'm meeting people, and a pod desk, open plan desk if I'm just doing a bit of email. Um, and what it's done for me and changed my life dramatically is I'm paperless. I used to have a, an office, filing cabinets, drawers you know, meeting desk, you name it, I had it, and kept paper for everything. Now, I don't even actually like taking people's business cards because I have nowhere to store them. 
Wow. So how do you keep information? I mean, what are your tips for making that work? It, it is amazing. So somebody once said to me, actually, when you, because I, I used to have piles of paper, don't you shouldn't be handling your paperwork more than once or twice. And if you've got piles of work and every time you're looking for something, you're going through this big pile, you're wasting an incredible amount of time. And honestly, I find that um, I have, it, it took a while, it's taken a couple of years, but because I don't have an office, I don't print, I've got no printer, I have to go into work to print something. So I'll I print some things if I want to work on the train or a plane, but otherwise, um, it's all on the computer. Linking into that, Fleur, I, I remember in one of my previous organizations to really show how often you were handling a piece of paper, you had to put a little mark into the corner of the paper every time you touched it. Um, and, and with some of the some of the teams you're actually seeing, they were touching the same piece of paper 25, 30 times yep. before they were actually doing anything with it. Um, and it was amazing how much time they saved by linking into the points that you've just said there about become paperless. But also, if it isn't a big task, do it the first time that you that you get that piece of paper or you get that email. Save so much time. Yeah, it's interesting. I know I have work hard to become paperless, but what that means is I end up scanning a lot of things that I have written, like notes that I have written. But that also means I can access it anywhere in the world at any moment in time, and it certainly does free life in lots of ways. Now, Charlotte, to your point, I can end up searching for it for an awfully long time, so I'm not convinced I'm saving a huge <laughs> amount of time, but I am creating some flexibility that works for me. Okay, uh, are there other things that you think, Charlotte, are going to be really, really useful? You talked about the, um, we were talking about flexibility. Let's turn, Charlotte, other things that are going to be useful in the leadership development space. So here we all go to leadership development programs. We all talk about agility in leadership. We talk about being an inclusive leadership. Are there particular qualities I need to be developing in myself if I want to succeed in this world? I, I think there are a, a few key ones, Wanda, and you're absolutely right. There's a huge amount of leadership development out there, and, and it, it changes between agility or inclusive leadership or whatever it, it, it may be. I think the key aspect for me is this element of collaboration that we've already talked about. It's being able to create that team, um, regardless of whether it's permanent members of staff or whether it's, it's people that are in the gig economy that are coming out uh, in and out of your team. I think there's an important aspect for leaders now to be curious about the people that they're working with and the people that they interact with, because by being curious, that opens up wider those dimensions around diversity, and really okay. finding out more about the people that we're working with can really help to tap into that. And I think you know, managers and leaders need to be far more curious. I think one key element um, is that Leaders effectively have to walk their talk, and, and what I say to many leaders that I work with is that people will watch your behaviors more than listen to your words, uh, and I see many leaders uh, talk very eloquently about creating these new ways of working and, and how we need to work in the future, but then staying in the old paradigm of how we work, and I think it's important for leaders to, be, to, to do what they say they're going to do, because that builds that element of trust that that Fleur mentioned earlier. And, and I also think it's important to create that, that area where people feel that they can share their perspectives and they can challenge each other uh, and they can give different viewpoints. 
And leaders that are able to create that trust and do what they say they're going to do, um, I think are in a better position to be able to do that. I, I think the one other aspect I would mention is we're all out there searching for this next big thing around leadership and how it's going to change the way that we lead and the way that we manage. And I think going back to Fleur's point, it's those small, little changes that we can get from our colleagues, we can get from other people that we work with, that really, if we, if we deliver those consistently, they make the difference. Okay. Um, have you, do you have any stories or any examples of, because I agree with you, Charlotte, this whole notion of the building of the collaboration, being able to create the team, even when it's a fluid entity, um, that curiosity about people getting to know them so that you understand what you have in common with them, even though on the surface they might look quite different than you. And the building of trust, which is why the walk the talk is such an important part. I, I think that trust is going to be, it's always been important, but we are certainly using that word a lot more than I've ever heard it in the past. I think all of those are are critical for success in now and going forward. So have you seen leaders do any small things that would make great tips on any one of these? So I've... Um I've seen a great um, move in one organization that I've been working with where, and it's, a, it's an investment bank, so not naturally a place where people may want to share their weaknesses, um, uh, you know, given how that, how that culture has been in the past. But I've, I've seen leaders start to talk about the things that they're not great at, um, just within their team, just sharing with their team that, first of all, they're not great at different aspects of their job. Um, or they're not great at how they engage members of the team, and they're ask, um, actively asking for feedback of their team members. So they're actually going out there, they're putting themselves out there and saying, I'm not great at this and I would love feedback from you. And what I've seen is that naturally then creates, over time, that culture where that team's giving more feedback to each other. So just that one action of a leader going into their teams and saying, I want feedback from you. I want to hear what you think about my performance and how I'm managing and leading this team and tell me what I can do differently. I think that's one action that all leaders can take that will have a great impact. That puts us right back to the notion that you started with at the beginning, which is that the leader is not at the center of the hub and everybody turns around them and changes around them and adapts to the leader. We're really in a world in which the leader's role is to be the more flexible one on the team um, and adapting to the team, hence asking for feedback from the team and figuring out how I can adjust. And there's also that element we've talked about many times on the show, there's a willingness to be a bit vulnerable, a bit, not massively, and talk about the things that you don't do well or you don't like or you're not terribly skilled at or comfortable with. And that opens up a level of honesty in everybody else, which just breeds stronger trust. It's the seeds of trust. Authenticity, I think, isn't it? I mean, that's, that, that's what you're looking for, authentic leadership. Indeed. Though sometimes I think we get authenticity confused with a lot of other things. But I agree with you, Flora. Flora, as you look at your own company and in others as you travel around, are there any things that you see leaders do that are creating the right kind of cultures? I think certainly um, we are, our current leader came into role three, four years ago and um, very quickly published a, his, his vision or our vision, our business strategy for 2020. And 
there has been relentless efforts um, since then to make sure that everybody truly understands what we are trying to achieve and then more importantly what their role is in working towards that sort of collectively powerful feeling of us all working towards this vision. And I think that he's, he's done a fabulous job um, of, and authentically, of reaching out, being transparent, really connecting in lots of different ways, always talking about his thinking, why he's thinking it, what he's trying to achieve, and how important our roles are. And it's sort of jo- almost joining the dots which I think has been very powerful and definitely is a key um, engagement driver. Okay. It's certainly what people have always asked for. You know, what is it we're trying to achieve and what's my role in getting there? And could you put that in language I can understand um, and get engaged on? So you said that he's connecting in different ways. You know, we have all the usual town halls and email messages and so forth. Are there any creative things that have been employed? Um. I suppose all of the above, you know, he's done, we, we had a lovely, they did a great video of him when he first um, uh, started, and it was very much about him, his family, you know, his, his full life, what he brought to work. Um, he makes sure that when he travels, uh, he meets different um, groups of people and different ranks. It's not that he hangs out only with other partners or other, other senior leadership. Um, every so often, not that often, but every so often when there has been... Um, a real issue or a great tragedy that we've watched globally, he will send out a note um, with his thoughts. So he's used different different mediums, but just comes across as a genuine, authentic leader who is approachable, which I think is important. Okay. So you get the sense that there's a, he's showing the humanity. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. Genuine. Fabulous. I like that. Genuine and approachable. Okay, we're almost out of time. Charlotte, any one last piece of advice you would give to people? The last piece of advice I would give on any of this is don't think that you've got all the answers. Um, we, you know, As managers and leaders, we don't have the answers. Um, but by speaking to different people and by finding out different perspectives from your team and wider than that. You know, we come out to a great solution. So just don't assume you've got this, all the answers. And it's Charlotte, okay you to could... fail. You, you always say that, Charlotte, don't you? Creating an environment where people can fail, and that's okay. Yeah. Fabulous. Fabulous. Thank you both. We're, unfortunately, we're out of time. With me today is Fleur Bothwick from EY and Charlotte Sweeney, who's running her own consulting company after 25 years in the investment management and financial services. Um, I think what Charlotte, you said it best at the end that as a leader, your job is not to have all the answers. And I think that's the heart and soul of what this show is about, is that recognizing that there is another way to lead without having the answers maybe ensuring that other people can get to them, but then you don't have to have them. And in doing that, what we're arguing is that as a leader, you really need to develop some collaboration, some skills in building that team and bringing people together, some curiosity about people and how they work, ability to create trust, um, some agility in how you're willing to work and the flexibility in how you go about doing that one. And we talked about authenticity and genuineness and humanity and approachability, all of which help foster trust. So the book is Inclusive Leadership, The Definitive Guide, Developing and Ex- Executing an Impactful Diversity and Inclusive Strategy. Charlotte and Fleur, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Wanda. Thanks, Wanda. Bye. Okay. 
Goodbye and join us next week. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.